presentation of the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Good afternoon and welcome in to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I am Connor McKnight and Sox fans 2024 ticket plans are available right now. So be here for the biggest matchups and exciting new promotions throughout the season, including opening day on March 28th. Our ticket plans include great benefits such as a ticket exchange program, special events, savings on single games, and more. For more information, visit whitesocks.com slash 2024. Welcome into the show. Uh, Friday night, there were a couple of headlines that popped up concerning the White Sox. New outfielder signed to a minor league deal, a uh, reliever reportedly signed to a minor league deal, and some interest in another player, a, a former slugger. That may interest some, but no doubt about it, the headlines all over baseball, and they actually do concern the White Sox, not just like tangentially, but almost direct, I mean, just like one shade away, one, not even seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, just one degree of Kevin Bacon away. Uh, there are some rumors concerning the White Sox now in the aftermath of the Orioles trade for former Brewers ace Corbin Burns. So I think. That's where we'll start the show this afternoon. In case you missed it, late in the week, the Orioles finally picked up the starting pitching help they needed. Not not just help. They picked up top-of-the-rotation kind of stuff. We've been talking about the Orioles quite a bit here on White Sox Weekly, which feels weird, but it makes a lot of sense in that one of the things that, uh, or maybe the biggest headline for the White Sox this offseason has been the potential trade of Dylan Cease. White Sox general manager Chris Getz has talked about it out loud often. Uh, Dylan has talked about his name being in the rumors. He's a pretty level-headed guy, pretty uh, pretty zen, pretty chill, pretty of-the-moment kind of fella. And uh, those kind of guys are, are probably more equipped to have these kinds of things swirling around them than others. So this is a conversation that, unlike a lot of trade rumors, um, is has been had in the open a little bit more often. Anyway, as we've been talking about the Orioles, uh, about that system, about that team, about that ownership group, there have been some updates here in the last couple of days. Before we get to the Corbin Burns deal, right, the nuts and bolts of this thing and how it pertains to the White Sox and to what a potential fit for Dylan Cease might be either with the Orioles or with another team, I think it's important to note that the sale of the Orioles is underway. It's got to be finalized and voted on by other owners. The David Rubenstein Group is going to purchase the Orioles um, from the Angelos Group, the Angelos family, which has owned it for a, a long time, since the early 90s, if memory serves. Um, that ownership group was one that's, you know, it, it had its ups and it had its downs. It certainly spent a lot of money early on in their ownership on contracts. And, and even in the last, you know, not in the last eight or nine years, but before that, you think about the Chris Davis deal. It didn't work out well for them, but they, they spent a lot of money on a big-time slugger there and have recently, under the um, – under the stewardship of Michael Elias, the GM work of Michael Elias and the rest of a group that a lot of them came over from the Houston Astros, had kind of completed a teardown and built up what is one of the best farm systems and one of the best teams in Major League Baseball. The Orioles won 101 games last year. They were bounced unceremoniously out of the playoffs by the Rangers. 
And one of the big areas of concerns that a lot of people had around the Orioles going into the playoffs last year, you'll remember, was their starting pitching. Exactly what could the Orioles do, starting pitching-wise, in order to make them more dangerous for the playoffs? They added a few pieces, but nothing super top-tier that was necessarily going to be you know, like a Game 1 kind of guy. They picked up Jack Flaherty in order to start a game. I think there was another deal they'd made in there somewhere to make some starts for them. But you know, nothing, nothing that was at the top. Dean Kramer, Kyle Gibson, Kyle Bradish, Grayson Rodriguez, a good rookie for them. Uh, Rodriguez, who, who had and, and has top-of-the-rotation kind of projection, but he pitched at age 23 last season in his rookie year. Uh, and while he pitched really well, did flag a little bit down the stretch. So, anyway... The ownership group, the the change that is underway there in Baltimore has apparently loosened up not just the you know the, the purse strings, not just their their ability to spend money, which they may do for Corbin Burns. We'll talk about that in a moment, but it's also allowed that front office apparently to shake some of the prospects loose that they've been from the perspective of many, maybe including yourself or myself rather, uh, hoarding hoarding some prospects i had been and listen I'm, I'm all about teams competing to win as many ball games as they can in the very next season as often as they can right i mean sure there are exceptions to the rule teardowns that happen i mean the orioles don't get to the point they are now without going through what they'd gone through over the last five six seasons or at least it seems that way either way you know, I, I like the idea of a good young team like this in Baltimore pushing in and making a deal for Corbin Burns. A couple of things of note here before we get into the, the nuts and bolts of the trade itself and then how it pertains to Dylan Cease and the White Sox. Remember that Corbin Burns is has got one year left of team control. He will be a free agent after the 2024 season. He is 29 years old. He'll turn 30 in late October. He made his debut in 2018, same year as Dylan Cease. Yeah, You know what? Dylan came up in 2019, so one year prior to Dylan Cease. I'll give you the comps between the two of them, or at least the last three years of work that each of them had undergone. There's, there's no doubt that Burns' body of work over the last three, four years, has been much better than Dylan Cease's. However, the high watermark that Dylan Cease reached in 2022, finishing runner-up in the AL Cy Young Award and with the 180 ERA plus and a you know, 220 ERA, matches, I mean, if not exceeds, any full season that Corbin Burns has put up. Burns was really good in the 2020 pandemic-shortened year, um, a 2.16 ERA plus, 59 and two-thirds innings in 12 starts. I mean, he went to the post as often as you can in a 60-game season, but it's a 60-game season. Burns won the Cy Young in 2021 on the National League side, had a 170 ERA plus in that year, I'm just using those numbers as thumbnails. I'm not saying they're the end-all, be-all of stats. They're just good thumbnails here on White Sox Weekly. Uh, and had a 243 ERA. 
Kept the ERA under three in 2022. Not such a great season in 2023. But if you look through the game logs for Corbin Burns last year, you'll notice that a lot of things things seem to get away from him early in the season. And then right about the time July came around, the dude just locked it down. A bunch of shutouts in the last three months of the season. One or two where he gives up a six-run job against the Twins in late August. But by and large, if you look at his numbers um, in the first half against the second half, and he dealt with a couple of injuries here and there, um, in the last 16 games, a 272 ERA for Corbin Burns. And in the first three months of the season, we're talking you know, his beginning of the year, March 30th, all the way through May 27th. He didn't pitch much uh, in June. He had a 368 ERA. So, you know, very much a tale of two halves and a guy that really came on strong late. Now, when it comes to what the trade got done for, it's uh, it's a pretty interesting conversation, right? Some big names, and those are really the only names that the uh, the Orioles have in their farm system right now. Some big names go to the Brewers in exchange for one year of Corbin Burns. D.L. Hall is a left-hander and a guy that many think could slot right into the Brewers' rotation. He goes from the Orioles to Milwaukee. Joey Ortiz, a shortstop who you know has some fringe major leagues, a major leaguer, but whether he's going to be an impact kind of guy at short or more of a, a glove-first, um, good shortstop, complementary guy in that infield that's going to need some boppers at third and maybe even first base and some, a good second base. Um, maybe that's kind of the outlook for Joey Ortiz. Could, who knows? Could pop and, and could be a, a big-time player. Those are the guys going back to the Brewers, uh, as well as a competitive round draft pick uh, that the Orioles will likely recoup if Burns goes to free agency after the season, which which many believe that he will search for free agent uh, money. Now, what's really interesting here is to remember, as we talk about Corbin Burns and the comparison you make from Burns to Cease, it's that Cease has two years still remaining of of team control. And, and for a team like the Orioles, who, although the ownership group is changing over, I, I would imagine they're going to have to spend a lot of money in order to purchase the team. It sounds like something close to $2 billion, uh, maybe $1.7 billion. And if you ask me, um, once you get to the one point anything billion, it's all just, I don't know, it's made up, it's pretend money, I don't really understand it, it's a lot of cash. Either way, that's a lot of outlay. So, in order to you know, maybe get some things set, I, I wonder still whether the Orioles are going to be big-time movers and shakers in free agency or, or in the spending or, I don't know, extension season, whenever that rolls around as we near spring training. I think what's going to be very interesting here is to see whether the Orioles are still intrigued by adding more starting pitching. In fact... John Morosi of MLB Network asked that very question, or I guess was asked and answered that very question. This is a good clip of Morosi on the MLB Network getting asked the question of where the Orioles are at, about the deal, about the prospects. You get kind of a good thumbnail here, and he doesn't waste any time in comparing this deal with something the White Sox and Orioles could get done with Dylan Cease. This trade last night, I will say, was good news for Baltimore and and certainly has the chance to be good news long-term for Milwaukee. 
it is not good news for the rest of the American League East. Because to your point, the Orioles got the ace they needed, the one they were lacking in the playoffs last year, Mm. and still protected the depth that we just saw on the screen a moment ago, all that high-end talent. They have so much talent still left that Holiday, we expect, is going to have a role on this team. Hauser and Kierstad could either impact the Major League roster now. You look at them, they're 23, 24 years old. Or they could be major elements in a trade at the deadline this year to get perhaps even more starting pitching or to address the bullpen that now does not have Felix Bautista. It's interesting, we talk about what's next and what this means as the the chessboard changes. You look at the the White Sox and how they've potentially had conversations with the Orioles about uh, about Dylan Cease and how that could all fit into the equation. This trade, with what Baltimore gave up, in no way closes off the possibility of them getting Dylan Cease. In fact, if you look at the equation, if you if you were to have Chris Getz on the show today and say, "Hey, Chris." Which team would you most like to do a Dylan Cease deal with among <laughs> yeah, their current prospects? Point. He'd probably still say Baltimore. So, And that trade for the Orioles likely would still be available to them in June or July as well. So for Mike Elias, a clear win. And again, the David Rubenstein ownership group, which is not yet in control of the team. We have to still see that be approved by the ownership committee and the owner's owners meeting writ large whenever they have a chance to get involved here and potentially sign a Burns long term they might still be able to say yeah let's let's go after Dylan Cease I mean this this team in Baltimore Lauren uh, and I'm sure that there's uh, all your friends who grew up loving the Orioles very good news for them because this team is just the start of being able to be heard from them for a long time to come. Okay, so you heard Morosi kind of uh, talk about the ownership group there. That's obviously the, you know, it's a, it's a big piece of what's going on in Baltimore and what's going to shape them going forward. You also heard him bring up the names, right? Jackson Holiday, the number one prospect in all of baseball, shortstop, second baseman, the son of Matt Holiday. He's uh, he's been rocketing up the prospect charts for as as long as he's been in the Orioles organization. Samuel Basalo is is not a guy that, that Morosi mentioned there, at least I don't think he did, uh, but is their second-ranked prospect. He's the 17-year-old catcher, or 19-year-old catcher that's playing at double-A. Um, really well thought of there. Colton Kowser was mentioned, did get some play last season, an outfielder, a guy that would fit really well in the White Sox plan, not to mention uh, projects as a corner outfielder, but he also hits left-handed, a guy whose name has been often mentioned in terms of some of these trade talks. Kobe Mayo, third base, first base, corner guy, six foot five, big-time power, and Heston Kerstad is a guy that got mentioned again there, another lefty outfielder who did see the bigs last season. His star has dimmed just a little bit over the last uh, two years. Injuries have been an issue there too, but Heston Kerstad is still the 32nd ranked prospect on MLB Pipeline's top 100. So the Orioles, like I just mentioned, Kerstad's at 32, Kobe Mayo is at 30, Colton Kowser is at 19, Samuel Basalo is at 17, and then Jackson Holiday is at number one. They got all those guys in just the top, I don't know, 30, 32. I mean, that's an absolutely stacked farm system. And you can scroll down a little bit and kind of find some, you know, some comps or whatnot, but that's it for the Orioles. They've got five guys, all of them, top 30 prospects 
in this game. That is a very, very rich farm system, and like Morosi said, does not rule them out of being able to trade for Dylan Cease if they wanted to. That's also if the White Sox wanted to. What you're hearing in reports a lot over the last couple of weeks, two, three weeks or so, is more and more kind of national reporters and talk about the potential of a Dylan Cease trade and pushing it more and more toward the trade deadline. I get it. I understand it. Deal hadn't been done yet, so why not? Could be some reluctance on the part of the White Sox to wait and see what this ownership group change was going to look like in Baltimore before they get a prospect price setting on a guy like Corbin Burns if they were going to make that deal. Uh, Could be some other teams sniffing around. Might be that you want spring training to get a little closer. And it could be that you've got a willingness to wait until the deadline to move Dylan Cease. But one of the things that separates Dylan Cease from Corbin Burns over the last little bit is the fact that Dylan Cease has made, let's see, 32 and 32 is 64, 97 starts over the last three seasons. He hasn't missed a minute of baseball, has Dylan Cease. Corbin Burns has dealt with some injuries. Uh, Shoulder issues have been a part of it. He started 32 games last year, 33 in 2022, and 28 in 2021. So the posts are there, the the shoulder issue uh, having gone on um, a little bit prior to the season last year, and I think again in the early, I don't know, first two seasons um, for Corbin Burns or something like that. Still, the innings load for for Corbin Burns kind of outweighs what Dylan Cease is able to do. 177 for Cease last year and for Burns, 193, nearly 200. Uh, he did get to the 200 mark, 202 innings in 2022. The the appealing thing about Dylan Cease, I think to a lot of teams who would like to probably angle for a, I don't know, a buy-low deal for a guy that's coming off of maybe one of his worst seasons since his rookie year, depending on how you slice the cake, is the fact that he will start for you. I mean, even if the starts are you know, not quite Dylan Cease caliber, uh, and he's got to work through some things and figure some things out on his way back to where he was in 2022, he'll take the ball. He's healthy. And those kind of innings are valuable to a team. That ability of, him, of his to go out there every fifth day is important. And that's what makes having Dylan Cease on your opening day roster, if you're a team that's going to trade for him, that much more valuable to you. You're cutting the price a little bit each time he starts for the White Sox as opposed to whatever team he may get dealt to. These are some basic trade economics here. I know you probably know them, but it's worth repeating. And I wonder if now that the, I don't know, who knows, maybe the floodgates have opened some with the trade of Corbin Burns. And maybe it's not just the Orioles who are moving around here. Maybe, maybe. Just like free agent signings work every once in a while, maybe teams were waiting for the Orioles to make their move, to take their shot and acquire whomever they were going to acquire, and and then kind of base their next moves, other teams' moves, on the prospect price the Orioles were able to give up. Morosi mentioned it in the soundbite we played for you a little bit earlier. It's impressive that Baltimore was able to get this deal done for Burns without touching some of the top-tier talent in that farm system. And that's not a shot at D.L. Hall, at Joey Ortiz. Uh, It's just an elevation of the other five guys that we mentioned earlier uh, as we were kind of going through the list. But make no mistake, 
Burns seems to want to hit free agency, and he's only got one year left of control. So that is going to drive the asking price down from the Brewers side of things. And it seems like the Orioles kind of got their, you know, they got their guy, they got their top end dude. I mean, he makes that team a lot scarier than they were just a couple of days ago. But they also got their guy at a price. And I wonder if they're willing to pay a little bit more of a premium. I hope they are, for for their sake, for Orioles fans' sake, um, in order to bolster that rotation just a little bit more. Could be that Dylan ceases that match. We've been talking about that for a good long time. So that's the latest uh, and biggest news in Major League Baseball. And it directly concerns the White Sox, even though it's Corbin Burns of the Brewers going to the Baltimore Orioles for D.L. Hall and Joey Ortiz. When we come back, uh, a couple of players added to the White Sox. Kevin Pillar, one ten, Dominic Smith, maybe two. We'll talk about those guys and the potential they offer the White Sox in just a little bit here. I'm Connor McKnight, and you've got White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. We are talking White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly. If you missed the show, we put the podcast up on the ESPN Chicago app. So listen on your time. White, White Sox, Sox Weekly. Weekly. ESPN Chicago. Chicago's home for sports. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. Stay out of the elements in 2024. Located on the 200 level behind home plate, the Guaranteed Rate Club offers all-inclusive food and beverage, in-seat service, and complimentary parking. Plans start at 20 games. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash GRC or call or text 312-674-1000. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we had been talking quite a bit in the first segment, lengthy segment, about the big news in baseball, Corbin Burns going from the Milwaukee Brewers to the Baltimore Orioles, and every talking head and every national reporter followed up the reports and, and consummation of that deal, Burns to the Orioles, with conversation about what that may mean for Dylan Cease's trade market. Now, a lot have said that they believe Cease is more likely to be moved closer to the deadline, in season for sure, uh, than prior to the start of spring training or even during spring training. But who knows? Weirder things have happened. And with a new ownership group taking over in Baltimore, maybe they got... uh, yeah, maybe they're rolling. Maybe they're ready to move. Either way, the uh, White Sox made a move last night, right around 7 o'clock or so. I was taking the dog for a walk when I saw the, uh, the, the breaking news notification, the push notification pop up from MLB Trade Rumors. Kevin Pillar has reportedly been signed by the White Sox to a minor league deal. Steve Adams of uh, MLB Trade Rumors had the news first, and since, a few more have had it. So this is yet to be announced by the team, at least you know at this point. The White Sox, as you know, have been signing a lot of defense-first outfielders in order to kind of push, it, it looks like, for big league playing time. Pilar, you, you know Kevin Pilar, he's been around the bigs for a while now, 35 years old. He just turned 35 years old. 
just last month. Happy birthday. Belated to Kevin Pillar. Uh, broke in in 2013 with the Blue Jays. Spent uh, the first five, six, seven seasons there. Went to the Giants, Boston, Rockies, Mets, Dodgers. And last year was signed as a, I think it was a non-roster invitee, or maybe it was a minor league, yeah, it was a minor league deal that he got with the Atlanta Braves. Uh, he broke camp with the team and spent the entire season, um, I think, with one IL stint in the meanwhile uh, with the Atlanta Braves. It, you know, it's funny. We'll talk about what the player may bring to the White Sox in just a second. But I saw last night, uh, I was kind of scrolling through Twitter a couple hours after the news broke or after the reports broke, again, still waiting on the Kevin Pillar signing, minor league signing, to be official from the White Sox. But Nicky Lopez who is officially a White Sox, tweeted out uh, how excited he was. Uh, Kevin Pillar is reportedly signed. He said, every team needs a Kevin Pillar, loves the guy. They've crossed paths. And Pillar does have a reputation as a as a big-time clubhouse guy, just a real solid all-around dude. If you remember, Pillar was one of the better outfielders in baseball for quite some time in Toronto. I mean, just like, you know, over-the-wall catches. I, you know... Apocryphal and just my memory more than anything else. But for like the 2015 2016 season, I, I feel like I remember seeing so many Kevin Pillar highlights just going to the wall in center field up and over and taking back home runs. I mean, it was almost like you couldn't go a week without seeing a Kevin Pillar highlight of him stealing something from somebody. I'm sure it wasn't as often as that, uh, but the guy knows how to go and get him. Age 35, you know, so the range has declined some. He spent most of his time playing either left or right with the Braves in the last couple of seasons, uh, last season, and in the last couple, spent most of his time in the corners. Could probably still handle center field, um, but most of the work has been in the corners. Offensively, it's never been a real loud bat for Kevin Pillar. Just kind of looking through some of the numbers here. It doesn't walk a whole lot, or at least didn't last season. Uh, nine home runs, 10 doubles, just 80-something games. I want to say it was 82, 81 games for Kevin Pillar last season. Uh, so mentioned the uh, you know the homers and the doubles there, the power numbers. Never never really spoke all that loudly for Kevin Pillar. He only walked at a 2.9% rate and at a really low BABIP, uh, 255. So you're thinking, you're hoping, rather, as you make this signing, and again, still not done, or not official, but you're hoping that a low BABIP um, is yeah, some, some bad luck and something that bounces back just a little bit, and he's able to play with average a, a little better and provide more offensively for you there. He's never been all that big of an OBP guy, but can run into an every now and again 15 home runs in uh, at least 15 home runs in four different seasons. He also, you know, it's interesting, Pilar. As you look at the roster, bats right-handed, right? So if, and remember the White Sox have Brett Phillips as well signed to a minor league deal to go along with Gavin Sheets and Oscar Colas as kind of the mix in in right or or a backup side of, of a corner spot with Andrew Benintendi, so Pilar could be kind of that, that dude who hits against tough lefties and, and gets some play there. It's certainly not an enviable assignment, right? It's not that he's hit lefties all that well in his career, but he's hit 272 with a 298 on base and maybe like a 500 slugging percentage 
against uh, left-handers over the last what is that five? Se- yeah, five seasons. So you've got a guy who knows how to handle things, but he's never going to be a high walk rate guy. I don't know that this is you know opening day starter kind of thing. It's signed to a mi- he's signed to a minor league deal after all, and, and coming up on ten years of service time. But this is an area where right field where Chris Getz and the rest of the front office have assembled some names that can at least push Sheets and Colas for their spots on an opening day roster. Now, listen, this front office has spoken highly of Gavin Sheets. We've spoken highly of Gavin Sheets here on White Sox Weekly. He is a consummate dude, a really good guy in the clubhouse, and somebody you want around your ball club. For Gavin, though, it it does kind of feel like 2024 may be kind of a a time to put up sort of year. And you, you hate to... You hate to put that kind of ultimatum. I, I'm using the word ultimatum. I'm not saying the team has done this by any stretch, but it, it seems like you know now is when you want to see Gavin Sheets get it done. You have seen Gavin in stretches get really hot. You've seen him use the opposite field while he's been hot, and then you've seen him yank some home runs down the right field line. Um, no doubt about it. 15 home runs in 2022, just 10 last season in 118 games of work. He hit 203. A 267 on base percentage and just slugged 331. He just he just had a tough time finding a way to get the big part of the bat to the baseball. There's there's really no two ways around it. Doesn't strike out all that much. 66 strikeouts, 28 walks over 34 uh, 344 plate appearances. Um, so it's it's not an egregious strikeout percentage, 19 percent, but. That's all relative, right? You're looking for a guy who um, is doing the best you can. You can ask of him in right field. Really a first baseman type who shifted to the outfield. We've been talking about this for a while here on the show and with the White Sox. But that's a guy who, if you're going to walk that much, 8%, and you're going to strike out that much, 19% or so, below league average, you do want to see some power. And a 129 ISO, not great, is not what you're looking for. You're looking for something much closer to the 200 level or 230 level ISO. You know, you want the home run power that you saw in his 54 games in his rookie season. Shoot, the guy hit 11 home runs in 54 games while teams were getting used to him, slugged 506. Um, Nothing to shout about, but at the same time, you still saw then in his rookie campaign his ability to get the barrel to the baseball, and that has was going to be, or at least you thought, was going to be a big part of Gavin Sheets' game when he hit the bigs. Now, he is the left-handed stick, so that's going to be, unless the White Sox add more people to push in right field, and they absolutely still could, and I'd like to see them do so. Um, he's going to be a guy that that may well get an opening day nod against a right-hander because there's a lot of those in the AL Central and certainly on the Tigers. So we'll see. We will see. But that is uh, that's the Kevin Pillar reported signing and kind of where he fits. When we come back here, I want to kind of go through. There's another minor league signing. Juan Ten has reportedly been signed to a minor league deal by the White Sox. We'll talk about him a little bit when we come back. Roster Resource is a great place to kind of look through the depth charts, and Scott Merkin of MLB.com has a piece out about the uh, the remaining questions for the Chicago White Sox as we get closer and closer to the start of spring training. I mean, real close. So we'll go through that piece. Here's some of the questions that Merck is asking. Come up with some of our own answers as well. I'm Connor McKnight. you got White Sox Weekly.
on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Home for Sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. FM 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight, and Sox fans' 2024 ticket plans are available right now. Be here for the biggest matchups and exciting new promotions throughout the season, including opening day, March 28th. Our ticket plans include great benefits, such as a ticket exchange program, special events, savings on single games, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash 2024. Wrapped up the last segment talking about the reported minor league signing of Kevin Pillar, a guy we figure is going to be in the mix as a uh, potential platoon bat in either right or obviously the platoon will be in light and he'll be backing up Andrew Benintendi in left. Benintendi's going to get probably as many games as he could possibly play in 2024. But the White Sox have also signed a right-handed reliever to a minor league deal, Juan Ten is the newest member of the White Sox organization, according to the Transactions Tracker at MLB.com. I love that we live in an era where we now have the Transaction Tracker. I mean, and I guess it's been going on for a while now, right? You can go click on the Transaction Tracker at MLB.com. Minor league deals don't have to be announced the same way that major league deals do in the bigs. So you, you check the wires every now and again. Gosh, I'm old enough to have... Like when I first started, I'm not that old, but when I first started, you would check the wires when you were working like an update shift or something like that, just to just like right before you went on air to make sure that you, you had the latest if something hadn't broken. This is like pre-Twitter or like the dawn of Twitter, 2008, 2009. And I know Twitter's older than that, but it really started to cook that whole thing. Uh, with the news breaking, you know, the sports and the news and all that kind of the kind of stuff in like 2007, 2008 and something like that. We were all kind of hesitant to get into Twitter at first. Just ask some of the guys I used to work with. But now it's everywhere and still the transaction tracker exists. It persists. And if you go click on it, you'll find that Juan Ten has signed to a minor league deal. T-H-E-N. That's how you spell his last name, but it is pronounced 10. He was with the Mariners last year, and you know it's 10. Well, at least I knew it was 10 because I was calling a couple of games the White Sox played against the Mariners when he was on that roster. He did not pitch against the White Sox, didn't pitch a ton last season. But I saw the name, and I thought, boy, if he gets into a ball game, you got to know how to say that one because it's not then. There's no way it's one then, and it's not. It's one ten. Just about to turn 24, Juan Ten turns 24 on Wednesday, so that's when he uh, has his birthday. So congratulations to Juan for picking up a major league team or an organization before his 24th birthday. Made his big league debut with the Mariners last year. Like I mentioned, nine games, 11 innings, six earned runs, struck out five, only two walks, 63.4% of the balls in play against Juan Ten were on the ground. It remains very difficult in Major League Baseball to hit a home run on a ground ball. That's a pretty decent thing. He was outrighted by the Mariners in August and uh, got to select free agency by way of being around in the minors for some time and being an international signing back in 2017. It's a curious body of work for one ten, 36 and a third innings over his minor league career with an 892 ERA, but 
it's it's really weird. MLB trade rumors kind of breaks it down this way: a four eleven batting average on balls in play and a fifty four point three percent strand rate. Just really unlucky on on either side. So when you look at an easy way, a simple way, I shouldn't say easy, a simple way to look at guys who might have some bounce back in them is to go compare the ERA, the earned run average, against the FIP, the fielding independent pitching numbers, um, and see, okay, where where's there a big break there? The ERA was 8.92, and the FIP was 5.87. So that usually tells you he got pretty unlucky uh, based on some of the defense behind him and some of the batted ball luck and, and what it is. When... You look at the White Sox bullpen, and I'm going to go over to, uh, this is a fantastic tool, Fangraphs runs roster resource, and it just lists everybody on the depth chart. It's absolutely great. When you look at the Major League bullpen right now, here's how roster resource has it planned out. And obviously there's going to be some changes here because I'm going to get to a name or two that you're going to go, but Connor... I don't think he's going to be in the opening day bullpen, and it's probably right. Gregory Santos, John Brebbia, Jimmy Lambert, Timmy Hill, Davey Garcia, Tuki Toussaint, Shane Drohan, and Garrett Crochet. That's how Roster Resource has it plugged in right now. Obviously, we knew, we know now that Garrett Crochet is going to be a starter this season. So of the names I mentioned, three of them are lefties, Tim Hill, Shane Drohan, Garrett Crochet. But you can take one of those out, Crochet and toss him into the minors as a guy that's going to stretch things out and get back to uh, or, or begin his career as a starter. I don't know whether Tuki Toussaint is going to be in the bullpen to start the year. He certainly could be, but he also might crack the starting rotation. It, it kind of depends on health there. You figure the starting five, Dylan Cease, at least right now, Eric Fetty, Michael Kopech, Michael Soroka, and Chris Flexen. Flexen being a guy that will be in the rotation per Chris Getz just uh, like a month ago or so. Uh, Soroka's got to be healthy. Same for Michael Kopech. You figure Fetty, Cease, and Flexen should be healthy. I mean, there weren't any outstanding concerns there. Uh, none of them have options. Then they're all ready to go. Cease has options, but he's going to be your opening day starter if he's a Chicago White Sox. So, barring a Dylan Cease trade, and I guess depending on what the White Sox may get back for Dylan Cease, you might have to take Tuki Toussaint out of what's now in a projected bullpen role and toss him into the rotation. It's also entirely possible that, I don't know, a, a guy like Jimmy Lambert is is stretched out a little bit, or Shane Drohan, perhaps, is a guy that's pushed into that starting rotation. He's the Rule 5 pick from the Boston Red Sox. I doubt it. I mean, maybe he makes some starts, but probably not a rotation piece. Still, nothing you can rule out quite yet. Now you scroll down on the old roster resource page to the minor league bullpen depth. And there's a couple of names here you know, and some I think we'll get to know. Alex Spies, guy that the White Sox picked up last season, uh, tough minor league season last year. Tanner Banks, Lane Ramsey, you know, the tall dude. Sammy Peralta, the lefty. Jordan Leisure, who they picked up from the Dodgers. And the Joe Kelly slash, it always blurs together. I think he was the Joe Kelly deal and not the Lance Lynn deal, but we can correct it later. He's here. He's a White Sox now. Um, and Juan Ten kind of fills out the rest of that minor league bullpen depth, but he's got big league experience um, and is at 24 years old, a, a guy that's you know got perhaps, hopefully, um, some growth left. He doesn't have any options uh, and able to be in the minor leagues. But once I believe once you call him up then, um, by way of he's being outrighted, he does not have options reset. So if he's on your big
big league roster. He's got to be there. He can be on your minor league roster when you start. Um, this is how I, I believe it'll work. Uh, and you know, once you put him on that big league roster, that means you've got to keep him there. Otherwise, sending him down exposes him to waiver. So that's the latest move for the White Sox, according to the MLB transaction tracker. 110 added to the bullpen. When we come back, we'll talk about a, a rumor around a particular player that the White Sox may be interested in. Name got dropped the other day, so we'll pick it up for you. We'll also take a look at Scott Merkin's piece on MLB.com that was looking at the remaining questions for the White Sox as we get close to the start of spring training. February 14th, pitchers and catchers report, and we can't wait. More White Sox Weekly next on ESPN 1000. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitter at ESPN1000. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN1000. 1000. 1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. Stay out of the elements in 2024. Located on the 200 level behind home plate, the Guaranteed Rate Club offers all-inclusive food and beverage, in-seat service, and complimentary parking. Plans start at 20 games. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash GRC or call or text 312-674-1000. We're closing things up. Just a couple minutes left on the show this afternoon. Big thanks to Jack McGrath, our producer on the other side. We started the show talking about the big news in baseball, Corbin Burns to the Brewer uh, to the to the Orioles from the Brewers and how that'll affect the White Sox and their endeavor to trade Dylan Cease, or maybe not. Who knows? You can download the whole show. In case you're just tuning in, in case you missed it, you're like, oh, no, I missed the show. You can download it on the ESPN Chicago app. Every one of our shows is downloadable right there for you. We talked about the minor league signing of Kevin Pillar, the minor league signing of Juan Ten, and told you that there's another name out there. Robert Murray, a fan-sided good baseball reporter, had this just the other day. Dominic Smith, a 29-year-old slugger, uh, who made his debut in 2017 with the New York Mets, was uh, supposed to be some hot stuff. Just never quite developed um, in the first couple of seasons with the Mets into the player that they thought he would be until he did in 2020, the pandemic season. Well, I guess in 2019 he was pretty good as well. Uh, 2019 he hit 11 home runs in 89 games, 50 games in 2020, some down ballot MVP votes. He finished 13th in the NL MVP voting. Had a 993 OPS, a 168 OPS plus. Um, 2021, 22, and then 23 with the Nationals. Not so great of seasons. You sum up all of those years, 21 through 23, and it's 356 games played and an OPS of 666. The background on Smith is an interesting one, and it's It's a little bit like Gavin Sheets. Um, It was Pete Alonso, the the you know big time slugger, the polar bear for the Mets, that moved Smith off of first base and into left field, a position change that you know it's it's not one that he was looking for. A six foot, two hundred and twenty four guy, lefty, a little bit like well, not as tall as Gavin Sheets, but a big dude, um, not a natural left fielder, and the hope was that getting back to first base. Going to the Nationals last year was would help some, definitely some, yeah, some some versatility for him. But defensively, 
that's where he shines is first base. Now, obviously, the White Sox have Andrew Vaughn there, and Eloy Jimenez is probably going to play um, some designated hitter and probably some right field as well. So if the White Sox were to add Dominic Smith into the mix here, it'd probably be for some minor league depth, some left-handed thump, and, I don't know, somebody interesting to fight for some spots out in, I don't know, like a, a I don't know how much you want to play him in right field. He's been in left his whole career and is a transfer guy or a, a position change guy. Could be a guy you add in order to fill out some roster spots in in the minors. Um, a guy with major league experience that you could throw onto the big league club if you do end up making some trades or moves as the season goes along. And the White Sox look to enrich some of their the youth and the talent there. But you're also looking for uh, you know some shielding to keep young players away from being overexposed at levels they don't need to be at. Dominic Smith, it's a rumor at this point, and, and Murray just has them interested in the player, so nothing uh, imminent happening here, but definitely something to keep an eye on with the report of Dominic Smith getting some interest from the White Sox. So to me, when you look at the players the White Sox have signed here over the last two months or so, and I'm not including Paul DeYoung or the trade with the Braves for Nicky Lopez and Soroka and Schuster or anything like that. I think those are in slightly different categories, mostly because you've got Colson Montgomery waiting behind Paul DeYoung and the trade of Aaron Bummer to the Braves is looking for you know a whole lot of pitching depth and they were uh, quite happy to get Nicky Lopez, obviously, uh, but it's a, it's a different category than the one I'm going to talk about here. Whether it's Brett Phillips or Kevin Pillar or the rumored signing of or the, the report of interest in Dominic Smith, I guess. The White Sox are adding kind of in bulk here guys that have a pretty particular skill set, a lot of it defense, um, and some ability in positions that they've got needs in. Looking for the opportunity to push some of their young players or let some of the young players develop. This team, this White Sox team, is is trying to add talent back. And one of the ways that you can do that is by taking some one-year contracts on you know, aged players, older guys that still have a lot of value left that you might be able to flip at the deadline, you know, on short-term contracts. I, I hope that's what's next for the Sox because when you look at right field, and this isn't a shade, any shade to the guys that are in that position right now or slated for that position right now, when you look at right field, you can make an upgrade on the free agent market and with players that may well be coveted by contenders – at some point in June or July, you know I, whether it's Adam Duvall or Tommy Pham, probably not Jorge Soler because he doesn't play a whole lot of defense. But you could make the argument, you know, you've got Michael A. Taylor or Enrique Hernandez or Brian Anderson, maybe Whit Merrifield's out there still. These are names of veterans who, for the most part. Have, can can hold their own, have a fairly dominant skill set. I, I think about Adam Duvall a lot when I think about kind of the, the you know the exercises of what the, who the White Sox could add with with just having to spend the cash and not having to outlay any kind of prospects or, or make the trade or subtract from the team or whatever. I mean, there's player, places to do that. And if you looked at, at the way Adam Duvall started last season, we've talked about him quite a bit. He started like gangbusters for the Boston Red Sox. And had he stayed healthy, you could have easily seen a situation where either the Red Sox are probably not in the thick of the AL East or anything like that, but maybe dealing Adam Duvall to a team that was. 
There's a chance for the White Sox to make a move here and outlay, uh, you know, a little bit of cash. In in the case of Duvall, it's probably going to cost something like twelve to fifteen million dollars or something like that. For you know, a guy that's a clear cut starter can handle some center field for you and hit the ball fairly hard. There's warts on just about every free agent bat that's left, save Cody Bellinger, and even still. You know he's got a, a track record here the last two three seasons that I, apparently is a, a head scratcher for some teams. Otherwise he'd be signed to a big time contract at this point. Of course his agent is Scott Boris, so maybe not. Uh, but there's a way to do this, and there's a way to fill out this roster just a little bit and potentially uh, make moves at the deadline on some players that you sign here in the next couple of weeks. I hope that's where we're headed. I think it'd be a pretty solid way to go about the business. Uh, but obviously the deals have to fit. Um, and the players have to fit as well. And also, players got to want to come here too. It, it takes a whole lot of things coming together to ink a free agent. It's not just throwing some cash around. That's White Sox Weekly. Hopefully a whole lot more news as we get closer and closer to the start of spring training. February 14th, pitchers and catchers report. And we'll be headed down there for media day uh, right around the 21st. And hopefully bring back a whole lot of interviews for that next week's White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. Have a great afternoon.